Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 287. This episode of Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the six, Cody Saftik on the line. The regular gang is back together. It sounds like Pat had a pretty successful uh, uh, stint back as the, the host of the show. He told me like four or five times how hot fire his prize picks were. Made me a little bit jealous, not going to lie. It's good to be back. Good to break down a, a really solid a solid card. We're talking about it just before the show, though. If you have somebody who you think is going to decision, we're in Florida, baby. So I saw a lot of the complaints about Texas, the Texas Commission, bad judging, questionable stuff. The only thing I was on was uh, Andrea Lee. By decision at like plus 400. Mm. Sounds like that one was actually pretty close. I didn't go back and watch the fight to be perfectly honest. But it's one of those things. It's like you hit enough of those over time. The judges are going to get on your side when you're hitting them at plus 400. Eventually, you know, those types of plays work out. But uh, yeah, it's good to be back, Cody. Um, did you do your shoey last week? I didn't, t- I didn't tune into the show. Did that happen? Yeah. Is that so, a thing that happened? So, I didn't show up on social media. Megan is shaking her head no, so you still owe me. You still owe me one. I'm not forgetting, but I'm making a note about it right now. Sorry, you can talk. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say my uh, my picks ended up getting smoked last week because of Tucker Lutz in particular. But Pat, Pat cleaned up in the prize picks and everything, even like the little things he'd say, oh, CJ Vergara, you know, will go past one round. Like it was like one of those little low key spots. And sure enough, it literally just got almost didn't get out of the first round. Ends early in the second round, but Pat hits it. So that's why they call him Prize Picks Pats. I did remember that I owed you a shoey last week, but I figured because Pat was on the show, it just it didn't mean quite as much, and you were away. So I mean, we're in Florida, right? So if you're gonna do it, you might as well do it for a Florida card. Oh, I'm not happy ready. about it because, for the record, I didn't even have Alexander Romanov, right? But I owed Paul one because I greased him on a Romanov play. Love it. A while back, so I don't even feel like uh, this is a shoey. Ah, I brought it on myself for sure, but was like my guy. You always take a sip before All you right. put one in there. Yeah, yeah, just a little one for, a little one, one for the homies. Well, I just want to get, I just want to get my throat ready for it. Someone's gonna take that audio clip and play it out of context, but the real <laughs> ones know. Okay, let's do it. Oh, a little bit, a little bit of foam. It was a quick pour. It was a quick pour. You got excited. Oh, uh oh. I've seen that face. Ah, justice. Justice for Juan Espino. It was so hot fire that his lights lights turned out. out. Let me fix them. That his lights went out. All right. Well, while you, uh, there you go. It looks like he's figuring out the lights. I'll just tee up the first fight here. We've got Israel Adesanya taking on Alex Perez. Minus 135 for Adesanya. Alex Perez can be had for plus 115. Obviously, the, what, this is the third time that they fought, twice in kickboxing, once in MMA. Adesanya was cruising his way to a decision win uh, last time that they fought, and Perez... Goes into round five like a bat out of hell. Finishes the champ. Collects the belt. 
Is this like one of those things where it's just like everyone's got like that rival Cody in their life? It's like, I, I'm not, and by no means am I really comparing the levels here, but it's like back in hockey, there's this one guy on this one team that's just like, he wasn't that good against like other teams, but it's like every single time I played against him, he would score like two to three goals, like every single time he's like, he's like a former rep player and he was playing at my lower level. We we're playing single a and it's just like, I don't know why it's like, we were, we were a really, really solid team, but it's like every, every single time I played him, it's just like, I could not stop pucks from that guy. Is Alex Perez a much bigger, grander version of that for Israel Adesanya? Cause it kind of feels that way. Yeah, man, I'm not going to lie. It does feel that way. It's like some guys just got some guys' number. In kickboxing, you'll see guys fight lots often, and sometimes you can be the best guy in the world, but your style doesn't quite clash with somebody else's. So, yeah, when you look at the fact that he's already got the kickboxing win over Israel Adesanya, he's got uh, the MMA win now over uh, Israel Adesanya, how much does that play into Izzy's head? How much did it play into your head when you now saw, saw this guy? Did you automatically just think like, oh man, he's going to, he's going to toast me. And by the way, oh, I, I played goalie as well. You know that. So I feel you a hundred percent. There were certain guys that was like, as they were on a breakaway, you knew in your head, you were screwed before they even shot the puck. Feeling defeated is going to lead to you being defeated. It didn't seem like everybody was clamoring for the rematch. Not because it wasn't a good fight. Not because it wasn't the right thing to do. But almost universally, was everyone was like, Izzy, why don't you just take a little bit? Let Adesanya, or let, let Pereira fight somebody else, right? Take a little bit of time, rest up, fight somebody else, yourself, and then work your way back to that title fight and fight this man again. But he wanted it. So if he thinks that he can change, you know, a, a few little tweaks here and there and to change the outcome of the fight, then, then that's probably what he's confident in. If he's thinking this guy's got my number, then it's just going to be a bad start to the fight right off the get-go. So when you look at the number, it's like I've got a sitting champion, as an underdog, plus money. Right away, I feel like you, you kind of have to have a little sniff at that, right? On a show called Dogger Pass, sitting champion at plus 115, kind of got to have a little sniff at that, right? Now, people are also talking about, you know, was it was it lucky? Was it lucky the last time he got he caught him? Because he's losing the fight, he's losing the fight, he's losing the fight, and then he, he catches him in the last little bit. And we kind of just saw that with Leon Edwards and Kamaru Uzman. Another fight where Leon Edwards is losing the vast majority of the fight, and then right at the end catches him. People are saying it's lucky. People are now having the sitting champion as a plus money underdog coming into the rematch. Teddy Atlas comes out with this little saying that's like, once you become the champion, 30 times better, he says. Once you're the champion, 30 times better. Not 30 times, 30%. My, my mistake. 30% better. Kind of thinking about that. Like, you know, he's not wrong. Now that you're the champion, it's like you get those championship runs. You get that payday. You get that, that ambition. You get that hunger. You get that drive. You get that confidence. You get that swag. And as a result, Leon Edwards comes out and just looks a much better version of himself. And Usman, a man that, I'm not saying he's mentally defeated to him, just looks good himself. Just doesn't look good as Leon, right? It's like that, those improvements have been made. So if I'm going to get a better version of Alex Pereira, an Alex Pereira that's already defeated this man on a number of occasions, he's the current champion, and he's plus money. It just feels like a no-brainer. Last thing I want to mention is a lot of people are like, well, I expect Adesanya to use his wrestling this time. What wrestling? Did he become a wrestler all of a sudden? And he's training out of a kickboxing gym in New Zealand. Did they suddenly become, suddenly make him a wrestler all of a sudden? Like, I don't know how people can just think he can switch to a skill that hasn't really shown in the past. So I don't think it's as easy as I'm just going to go and wrestle this man the next time out. I think he's going to do exactly what he did the first time. P pick his spots. Be very smart. Be surgical. Stay on the outside. Win rounds. Do a good job. Try to drag this to a lull. 
Try to fight him like he fought Yoel Romero. Try to fight him in a very low pace like he fought Jared Cannonier. Stay to the outside. Take no risks. Don't get hit. That's the kind of game plan he'll try to fight. Pereira will probably drop a couple rounds in the process. But we know that he can knock him out. He's done it a couple times. You know he's dangerous first round through fifth round. But he's got that confidence now. He's got more experience in MMA. He's headlined a five-round fight. He's felt the energy. He's made the walk. He's got these different things. I, I just feel like at plus money, I'd be stupid not to have a sniff. So am I super confident in it? This is a world-class five-round main event that is going to be tit-for-tat between two of the best guys in the division. They'll have their chances. Either guy could win. How could you be super confident in it? But yeah, I got I got to take Alex Pereira to retain. Yep, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, at the plus money, see plus one fifteens. There's a little bit of buyback coming in on Adesanya right now. Maybe they think that he can he can change the course. I'm not buying into the wrestling narrative either. His only takedown that he ever has got in the UFC was last time out against uh, Alex Pereira. But like Pereira's putting in time with with Glover Teixeira with his wrestling and and his grappling all the time. It's like. If he gets him down there, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold him down and, like, really secure a round um, that way. And, like, I really don't have much faith in, like, a submission game from Adesanya if they get down there. Like, if you're rolling around with Glover Teixeira, it's just like, I'm sorry, is he? But you're not Glover Teixeira. It's like you don't, you're not going to be able to close the show that way. And, like, going back and, like, I know that it was widely accepted that Adesanya's winning that fight. But it's like you go back and look at these stats for that fight. I know, obviously, round five, he just bombed on, or Alex Pereira absolutely bombed on him. But it's like, round one, 23-23. I'm talking significant strikes. Round two, 20-17. to 17. It's just like, I think sometimes it was like one of those things where it's like, they're close rounds, and then people are like, they break a tie with, well, the, the tied round goes to the champion. Like, I think that's the mentality a lot of people have scoring those, uh, scoring those rounds. I'm with you. I think um, plus money... On Pereira, it's it's definitely the side as far as I'm concerned. Moving on down, we've got Gilbert Burns taking on Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Minus 450 for Burns, plus, four, plus 350 for Gamebred. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, so I actually do believe that the best version of George Monsadol that's ever competed be- defeats the best version of Gilbert Burns. I think that he'd have a ton of problems for him. His takedown defense is generally pretty good. He's got solid cardio. He's a better striker, good counterpuncher, which should play well into his hand considering Burns is generally going to be the aggressor in a lot of his fights. I feel like Masvidal could give him all types of fits if he was a younger, more ambitious man. But ever since he knocked out Ben Askren with a flying knee to the face, he's been a rich man. He cashed out on a, his lifetime of work. Used to be one of my favorite fights. Don't care for the guy anymore, but but I'm glad that he cashed out on a lifetime of work. Look, he's got 50 pro fights. He was fighting in Kimbo Slice's backyard back in the day for free just to get some experience. He's been around the block a few times, and he deserves to get paid. So I'm glad that he was able to kind of journeyman George ended up making a few million at the end. That's pretty badass. But now he's 38 years old, and I don't really see – I don't see the fire in his eye, but I just don't see his body physically competing at the same level. When you look at him at his best, he's not bad. That first round when he fought Kamaru Usman, the first round, he gives him all sorts of trouble. He's on short notice, you know? He, he resorts to Usman having to pit him up against the cage and stomp his foot – because George, on short notice, still has that skill. You see right away in the second fight, he's moving differently. Right away in the second fight, his reaction time is slower. And sure enough, he gets absolutely decimated by a beautiful shot. Even that Darren Till fight he had in the UK, everyone remembers it for the highlight reel KO. George puts him down, but Till drops him in the first round, right? 
George at 170 isn't the biggest guy, so he has to be the faster guy. And he's been able to get away with being the faster guy because he's fast as lightning. But at 38, he's just not the same guy. He's not waking up early in the morning and going for the runs. He's not putting in the work. His body's starting to fail him. And that's not necessarily poor work ethic. I'm sure he's got fantastic work ethic. It's 50 pro fights. It's an entire career of competing in the sport. Uh, Is he comfortable? Sure. Is his body just starting to you know, where the effects of his career, yeah, also, also the case. So how does he fight against this fight against Gilbert Burns? Well, he's got to use his wheels, man. He's going to have to have excellent footwork, which he does have. Stay to the outside, box this guy up. It's in Florida. He's from Florida. He, well, I mean, technically he's from Florida, but, but he reps it, right? They love him there. If there's one market that loves him still, it's most definitely Florida, right? That Latino ma- the market. So I feel like if he can keep this thing close and competitive against Gilbert Burns, he's most definitely got a shot at squeaking out a decision. He's had a ton of these split decision fights on his record because the close and competitive nature of a lot of Masvidal's fights. So he can keep it close enough, and there's enough plus money on him that if he can keep it close enough in Florida, live, live. So that's him at his best. And again, I just don't believe he's at his best. I think what's probably more likely is Burns has just been coming forward hard pressure lately. Masvidal's not going to be able to get out of the way in time. He's going to eventually get snared up by him and get taken down. Once they're on the ground, again, George has an excellent ground game. But Gilbert Burns is just that much better. He should be able to suffocate him. He should be able to control two of these three rounds uh, with, with his wrestling alone and win. His striking, meanwhile, it's gotten a lot better. I don't advise that he goes out there and strictly strikes with George Masvidal for 15 minutes, but I think if he just pressures him backwards, throws the overhand right, throws those short hooks, throws those big chop and leg kicks, throws those big shots, that the crowd's going to react to them, the judges are going to notice that, and then once you can pressure him back to the cage, that's when you shoot the takedown. You're not taking him down the open field, back him up to the baseline, take him up against the cage. So Burns probably wins this fight. He's not a top ticket for me. I don't think he's a second ticket, although he's probably going to be somewhere up there, strictly because it's a good stylistical classroom at this stage in both of their careers. But uh, there's still a nagging suspicion that in Florida, George could come out and give him some problems. I just don't think he's at his best anymore. And for that reason, I do got to end up taking Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I'm going to pick Burns too. But yeah, minus 450. I'm not I'm not rushing to the window. And it's a really tough totally. one because like Masvidal is very, very difficult to take down. Like Kamara Usman was able to take him down five times, but it's like and Covington was able to take him down six times, but those were those were both five round Best fights. And those were five round fights on top of it, right? So it's like Um It's it's a tricky spot all the way around. Masvidal is live, like he could land something super, super heavy and, and maybe set set his lights off. Like at minus four fifty, I think it's probably about right. I think Gilbert Byrne win, wins this fight around eight out of ten times, eighty percent of the time. Which I guess in theory would mean there I ever so slightly lean to the value side being on Masvidal. I'm gonna be picking Burns, but um Yeah, it, the whole kind of thing, the fact that we're in Florida, what you Everything that you kind of relate to me, like it's not making me feel like, oh, Locke burns up in parlays and nothing can go wrong. Like if he's not able to get the takedowns, this fight's going to be super, super competitive on the feet. Um, Two and a half takedowns on prize picks seems maybe a little bit, a little bit. There's a multiple ways you could win there. It's like if Burns takes him down, he's able to get a submission early in the fight. His BJJ is is world class, some of the best in the world, of course. And uh, so you could probably get to the under two and a half that way. Or if he goes, I'm in Florida taking on the Florida kid, and this just turns into a, you know, like the Hazmat fight did, where they're just going 
tit for tat, just throwing bungalows at each other for 15 minutes. It's, and he doesn't even try to wrestle. You know, maybe he tries to wrestle a couple times, gets met with a little bit of resistance. Like, that wouldn't shock me either. So, prize picks under two and a half takedowns for Gilbert Burns. Maybe he comes out and tries to do the 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 Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight, um, where it's just like he was able to take him down, maintain control, didn't take any sort of risks or whatever. That could definitely play out as well, but I don't know. And that with that crowd, the electricity in the air, he's right on the precipice of getting another title shot. You know, there's fresh blood at, with the title right now in uh, in Leon Edwards, a guy that doesn't really have much of a history with. It all kind of lines up. Maybe he goes for a little bit of an exciting thing. So on prize picks, under two and a half takedowns, don't mind that. Like, I don't think that's a massive edge, but I would have probably lined it more like at two and maybe you push on two. Two and a half, like, you. well, obviously he needs to get three to get to the over. And I'm not, uh, there's a lot of ways for those takedowns not to happen in this fight. So, uh, yeah, Burns is the pick. Prize picks, under two and a half takedowns are the looks I'm considering right now. We got Adrian Yanez taking on Rob Font. Adrian Yanez, a minus 185 favorite. Font can be had for plus 160. Cody, your thoughts? Yeah, I would take the underdog shot here on Rob Font is what I'm thinking at this stage. Um, if Adrian Yanez is the real deal, so be it. He, he, this would be a big win for him. He could move on in his career. Um, it's really going to teeter on how good his power is. Now, he's been knocking out fools in the UFC, but they've not exactly been the best guys. He knocked out Brady Huang on the Contender Series, knocked out Victor Rodriguez, knocked out Gustavo Lopez, Randy Costa, uh, and Tony Kelly. So Tony Kelly's no longer on the roster. Randy Costa's no longer on the roster. Gustavo Lopez, I think, I think he's not competing and he doesn't have a good record within the promotion. I think he might still be on the roster, though. Victor Rodriguez, I believe he's also cut. Those guys he knocks out. Those guys he knocks out all day. The one guy that he's fought that is holding down that roster spot, Davey Grant, you know, that, that that was a really close competitive split decision. So when he's fighting these subpar guys that probably don't even deserve to be in the promotion to begin with, knock him on the first round. The one time he's had that little step up in competition against Davey Grant, Grant takes all of his shots, delivers them all back, gives him one hell of a scrap, and ends up being a split decision win where uh, I think everybody that had Yanez was puckered up. Now he comes out in his very next fight against Tony Kelly and mauls him. So it gives you that sense that he's like, oh, he's back, you know, one little fluke here and there against Davy Grant. But realistic nature is, is that the kid's still young. He hasn't had a whole lot of jump ups. And this is a big jump up, right? Rob Font is not, you can't call him the perfect fighter. He's definitely not the perfect fighter. He's got all the things that could make a, a top three, top five contender at 135 pounds. He's got all, all the striking attributes, all the speed, all the quickness, all the, the, the ring IQ. He's got it all, baby. He's got a sickening amount of volume out there. And uh, again, just like footwork on parallel, jab on parallel. This guy is top, top notch. The chin is not even that bad as he gets knocked down so much. It's not even like he's getting knocked out. It's that he's continuously getting knocked down. And it's so difficult to win a round that you get knocked down mm -hmm. in. So you go back to the Jose Aldo fight, and I thought it was a near masterpiece. He outstruck Jose Aldo 149 to 86 and scored the lone takedown of the fight. By the way, BJJ Black Belt, good reactionary takedowns on him as well. The guy is a very excellent fighter. Is that Aldo drops him two times in that fight? Those clean knockdowns, those he wobbled him a few more times. He'd be losing the round, losing the round, losing the round, land that one big shot, wobble him, unfortunately loses. Went five full rounds with Jose Aldo. That's pretty dope. The fight before that, he had gone five full rounds with Cody Garbrandt. Not as dope as Gar Garbrandt, former champion, but not that good, I don't think. 
But then he goes the same thing. He goes the distance. Five rounder with Marlon Vera. He outstrikes Marlon Vera 271 to 159 and lands the fight's lone takedown. But he gets knocked down three times. He gets wobbled a bunch of times. Marlon Vera ends up winning the decision. The volume is definitely there. The striking is definitely there. The technique is definitely there. It's that he gets clipped and then he ends up losing these rounds. Yanez seems to have decent volume as well, but he's fighting a way, way, way lower level. And over a three-round fight, if he's going to land 100 against Davy Grant in a tit-for-tat war that he wins a, a close split decision in, but against Font, you might need to up that to like 150 to keep pace with him over three rounds. Like the guy just goes out there and throws down. Now, if Giannis has legit power, then he'll probably end up flipping Font at some point. Font's not getting knocked out in these fights, for the record. Last three fights, all five rounders, all the decision, is that he's been knocked down five times in those fights. That That's the concern. Giannis may knock him down, but not knock him out. But then once you lose the round, okay, just do it once more. But mm-hmm. at this kind of plus money, we're going to need dogs. And we're in Florida. I just feel like... Bro- Rob Font can outwork almost anybody in the division, is an excellent striker, could throw in a couple takedowns in the mix. And you don't go from fighting Victor Rodriguez and Brady Huang and uh, Tony Kelly to fighting a guy that's fighting the champ. He's fighting the contenders. He's fighting the best guys in the division. That's a big jump for me. So to see this kind of plus money available on a legitimate, he's a, he's a gatekeeper to the stars, right? Versus a young kid that is looking for his first real test. Second real test. David Grant was stiff enough, I suppose. Um, looking for his second real test, and he's already going against the gatekeeper to the stars. Like, ah, I don't know. A bit of a stiff test. Plus money looks good on font. Give me the underdog here. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, the knockdowns are a bit of a concern. Yanez does hit very, very hard. But the volume is just overbearing. And the fight that I go back to and think about is the Randy Costa one. Where, you know... The stats will, or, you know, if you just go and look at the results, it'll say, you know, round two TKO, and the stats look pretty close. Randy Costa, as Randy Costa does, came out came out like a bat out of hell, absolutely dominated, dominated round one, and, like, anybody with, you know, their minus 300 Yanez tickets had their butt fully puckered um, as you entered round two. And now, he, you know, he... Doug Deep got the got the finish in round two. But yeah, so round one was 57 to 33 in significant strikes. And then Randy Costa, as he does, fell, fell off an absolute cliff. Um, I think he may struggle to find his timing, his rhythm, when he's constantly having to deal with Font throwing out that jab, throwing out those long-range strikes, and just peppering him constantly. It's like... If you're constantly on defense, it's tough to land and, and time and, and find your absolute, uh, you know, your rainmaker strikes, which is what uh, Yana's does seemingly the best out of, you know, that's the best part of his game right now. Um, so, yeah, plus 160. Could see it being, if it goes to decision, close, close fight, uh, plus 160. As the underdog, don't mind that. Looked at what font by decision is, and it's just, I mean, I see, like, plus 200s out there. So it's just, like, don't get too greasy. I know Giannis has never been knocked out. There are, like, some plus 285s, which may be worth, you know, d- dabbling in a little bit. But, yeah, Rob Font Moneyline is, is going to make my card by the end of the week. We've got uh, Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Minus 235 for Holland, plus 200 for Ponzinibbio. Who you got? Well, here's another decent plus money shot, I think, in Santiago Ponzinibbio. I would love it way more if I couldn't go back and watch the Alex Morono fight. 
because there's some definite regression from him overall in that fight. But listen, this guy's competitive in almost everything. His two losses prior, uh, first one against Jeff Neal, he goes out there, outstrikes Jeff Neal, <clears throat> 91 to 85, scores a takedown, loses a split decision. Real close split versus Jeff Neal, who's otherwise a, a pretty credible guy in the division, right? Good talent, close fight with him, split decision. Ah, damn. Next one against Michelle Ferreira, he, uh, it was 110 to 105. He got outstruck, but still, close margins. Lands 105 significant strikes. Lands a takedown. Really close fight. Loses another split decision. Ah, god damn it. Damn. Always in these close fights against top-level talent, but does lose the two decisions. Then his last fight against Alex Morono, he wins. Got a third-round knockout. Uh, he got knocked down early by Morono. He scored a knockdown of his own. Uh, it was kind of a drag-him-out fight. It just looked like for 36 and the way he fights, and this is also a man that prior to those last three fights had taken nearly three years off with a plethora of injuries, shoulder injury, eye injury. Uh, at 36, he's an American top team with the best guys in the world. His body's, again, in a George Masvidal-esque breakdown. He's just he's getting a lot older. The best version of Ponzinibbio, yeah, he keeps his fight looking good. He's Think about this. He's plus 200 in a, in a guy that's always competitive, always in these close fights against world-class guys. Trains full time in Florida. We'll have that local Florida pop, and he's taking on a guy in Kevin Holland who has abysmal ring IQ. Could have maybe beaten Ke uh, Stephen Thompson in his last fight. Decides to let him up. Now think about that for a minute. I got the best karate guy in the world in the MMA. One of the best elite strikers in MMA. I got him on the ground where I'm apparently a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Yolo, because the fans are going wild. I want to have a great fight. Well, he's in Florida, taking on the local Florida guy via Brazil, by way of Brazil. They're going to go nuts. It'll be a crazy fight. Do you actually trust Kevin Holland to do the right thing and fight yeah. the proper game plan? No, but he'll probably be in a really entertaining striking battle where he throws karate chops and he throws sidekicks and Ponzinibbio is chomping at the bit, frothing at the mouth on the live crowd and is going out there guns a-blazing, you know, throwing forward. Does Kevin Holland deserve to be the favorite? Sure. Does Kevin Holland deserve to be minus 145, minus 155? Yeah. So to see plus 200 on Santiago Ponzinibbio... You know, where do we get burned? We get burned on these underdogs you don't see coming. Well, these are underdogs you almost do see coming. He most definitely has a chance. It's a disrespectful price. And I don't know if I got the cojones to pull it just yet. But for the purposes of this show, because I got to make a pick right now, I'm going to take Santiago Ponzinibbio. I'm fully agreeing with you. And I'm kind of scared. I kind of expected you to go with Holland. But it's like Holland at chalk always scares me off. We, I mean, I was on... Stephen Wonderboy Thompson last night. It's like the books really give a lot of respect to Kevin Holland. He's got long-range weapons, obviously a crazy reach, very, very large for 170 pounds. But, like, the guy makes really, really poor decisions constantly in the octagon. So when they put a minus 235 next to his name, I know the limitations of Santiago Ponzinibbio. I know he's long in the tooth. Durability looks like a bit of a question. We were like, you know, three, four years ago, this guy was right in that hunt. He was right with like Leon Edwards as like one of the guys who was going to get his opportunity. It never really came around because he had injuries and yada, yada, yada. He seems like he's doing a lot of uh, broadcasting. Um, that's kind of where he's directing himself for his uh, post fight career. But yeah, plus 200. He doesn't have to travel very far. I mean, I guess, you know, from Texas to uh, to Florida isn't too much of a fight or anything. But it's like right in Santiago Ponzinibbio's backyard. It's uh, it's tempting. It's tempting. I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger either, but uh, Ponzinibbio will also be my pick. Uh, moving on down, we've got 
Jay Leno Jr. taking on Christian Rodriguez. Uh, Raul Rosas is a minus 205 favorite. Christian Rodriguez can be had for plus 175. I'm seeing people out there. They're saying this is a setup fight. I don't know if they did a very good job of setting up Raul Rosas. The biggest problem that I have with Raul Rosas is like, he's obviously what? He's like 18 years old. Looks strong as as an ox. That chin is made for a pounding. We haven't seen it really get tested yet, but like he's got Drew Dober chin. I mean, I, not that I'm like a walking, you know, that I have any 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 way to. Not not that I have anything to brag about here, but it's like he's kind of ugly, and like ugly being ugly is like a very very good base for MMA. Probably got picked on a little bit as a kid. Kids, Jack, super super strong. Grappling looks on point. I think his striking is a massive, massive question mark right now. We don't really have all the answers for it. Um, on the other side, we've got Christian Rodriguez, who I think we have a little bit more answers for it right now. Striking is definitely, from what we've seen, a massive step up from, you know, from the Jay Perrins of the world. Uh, grappling is, is decent and on point. I think it's a, we're going to find out a lot about Raul Rosas in this fight, I think. Um, you know, the total even in this fight is um, is set at pretty much close to a pick for it to go to the decision. I may be a little bit wrong on that. Um, on prize picks, it's at 12, uh, 12 and a half minutes. So it's like, all right, well, if Raul Rosas is not going to get an early finish in this fight, we're going to learn a lot about him and... I'm not willing to lay minus 205. The question is, am I willing to take a shot on the dog with uh, Rodriguez here? For the purposes of the show, I'll pick the dog in Christian Rodriguez. But I'm I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Because I think there's just so many questions with this kid. We've got the history of guys like Sage Northcutt where it's like the UFC just does too much too quickly and then kind of ruins these prospects. They do it over and over and over. Um, is Is this one of those spots, Cody? It might be only because they have some narrative where it's like, oh, youngest champion in UFC history, youngest champion in UFC history, and they seem to try to break it all the time. And and the people that are like the contenders are uh, Macy Barber or Muhammad Makayev. It's like neither of these people are winning a UFC championship in I don't know, at least five years, right? Like they're not going to be the youngest champion by the time they do win it. They're really young. They did it with Paige. They did it with Sage Northcutt. They... They just hype you up and they try to get you there a little too quick. So, yeah, he's 18 years old. He needs to maybe take his time. When I saw him on the Contender Series against Mando Gutierrez, Mando's 26. And Mando's, he's, he's not bad. He's on the Ultimate Fighter right now, actually. But he's definitely not a bad fighter. But he, he's not a great wrestler. He's not a great grappler. He's not an elite-level competitor by no stretch. Rosas beat him. Rosas was able to get the positions he wanted, but he's able to hold none of those positions. Mando scrambled excellent in that fight. Mando gassed out and still gave him a good fight. They signed the kid not because it was a great performance. They signed the kid because he's 18 years old, he's 17 years old, and it was a great performance for a 17-year-old kid. But in the grand scheme of things, you can fight guys in LFA, you guys can fight guys on the regional scene, you can fight guys on the contender series more times if you want, but to fight guys in the UFC, for the most part, a lot of them have kind of earned their keep, right? So you're going to have a tough fight. Jay Perrin, Jay Perrin is, you know, a, a fairly one-dimensional striker from Massachusetts. He wasn't going to be able to stuff those takedowns. He didn't have the grappling to stuff Rosas. So Rosas looked really good there. He looked infinitely better in the Mando fight. But it's kind of like you are saying, well, what if the guy can survive the first round? What if he can survive the first couple rounds? And Rosas could be up two rounds 
and can't get his takedowns going in the third round, his striking is not very good. He's not going to be able to fall back on a plan B of just outstrike this guy. He kind of lives and dies with his wrestling. It should be effective against Christian Rodriguez by way of he's got bad takedown defense. He gave up six takedowns to uh, Jonathan Pierce. He gave up two takedowns to Weens his last time out before snatching up the Anaconda choke. He's out of Milwaukee, a Rufus sport. Takedown defense ain't his thing, but he's got dynamic striking. He's only 25 years old. He himself is a prospect who's getting a lot better, getting a lot more comfortable in his own skin, and has a significant striking advantage. He showed in that Pierce fight, a fight that he was completely counted out in, undersized in, underexperienced in, that he can hang. He's got good striking, he's got good scrambling abilities, and that he should be able to put it on good display. Against Rosas, if he makes him work the entire time, can get back up to his feet and land shots, certainly live. Especially in Florida, where I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad commission, but they should reward the fans going crazy. And the fans don't go crazy for some 18-year-old kid lying on top of a guy for 15 minutes. They go crazy when there's a scramble, and the guy gets up back to his feet, and he starts landing those shots, and the kid shoots from a desperate takedown. That's exciting. That's a fight. That's entertainment. That's what they're into. So he will probably get taken down in this fight. But as long as Christian uh, Christian can continuously get up and make him work and kind of land those better strikes standing, he'd be live. The thing is, minus 205 for Rosas, not a bad price. I don't think it's a terrible price. I'd like to pick the better grappler over the better striker. I know that Christian Rodriguez is the better striker. I know that I got Rosas as a better wrestler, better grinder. Do you look great against Mando? No, but he's 17 years old. Mm-hmm. A few months later, he's in his UFC debut. Most guys get jitters. Most guys can't handle it. And here the guy goes out and wins in spectacular fashion. He's going to be rapidly getting better. Not slowly getting better. Not incrementally adding a few new tricks to his game. He's so young that his physical maturity level, his ring IQ, everything should just be coming off the charts. Enough so to go out there and beat Christian Rodriguez. Last thing is, if Rodriguez was like one of these gritty 30, 35-year-old journeyman type, you know, former D1 All-American guys, like those guys are going to give Rosas massive amounts of problem. He himself is still 25. He's still developing. He's still figuring it out. The difference between an 18-year-old and a 25-year-old, not huge. Don't get me wrong. Those are crucial seven years, but not the same as, you know, some dude who lays brick on his... uh, you know, weekends or something and is going to be able to put some mitts on you and give you some some real problems. So for this price, I'm not scared off Rosas. Will he run into a humbling experience eventually? That's up to the, Uf- to the UFC's matchmaking team. But I think for the time being, they've given him an, an appropriate enough fight. I can't really argue with too much of that. I think the kid's got a lot of talent, but I want to see a little bit more before I'm laying like minus 205 um, in these types of fights. I, but I like, will you tell have you some one thing. His- his, his brother, he's got a younger brother, or maybe it was an older brother. I don't really know. And I don't even know what regional show it was. It might have been LFA, but I was watching some regional show the other day. They had his younger brother on the show, and they hyped the hell out of him. He goes out there, awful, loses. And they must have planned to just talk to Rose's Jr. in the ring anyways, because even though his brother lost, they just had him out. And uh, I don't know how good his Spanish is, but like his English, it sounds like he has a speech impediment as well. So to your point of gets bullied because of his looks and causes him to be a dope-ass fighter, Probably gets bullied because of his, you know, speech as well, which caused him to be a dope-ass fighter. But he was on the mic cussing and swearing and flipping off the crowd kind of thing. Like, it, it didn't seem like he was one of these humble, I'm, you know, dedicated to my craft. It was more so like I'm buying into my own hype. So I'm not super comfortable putting an 18-year-old kid high up, but I think I, I think he is the pick. And, and he- as I say, you want you want that humble martial artist. Sage Northcott was that, that humble martial artist, and he never made it, right? 
Maybe you need the brash kid with the chip on his shoulder. I don't know. It probably means nothing. But uh, the kid's got a long way to go before he's established as legitimate. Yeah, and I mean, man, I'm just looking through, like, the bantamweight rankings right now. It's just like, it's a meat grinder, man. Like, once you get, you know, he's ranked 60th right now on, on Tapology, which includes bellator pfl and the ufc pretty much and i'm sure there's some other guys from other organizations that are in the mix but like once you get into like the top 30 range like man there's not very many easy fights like even a guy like ronnie yaya who's obviously long in the tooth he's ranked as 30th on this list it's just like well you give this kid all types of problems <laughs> yeah i think it would be interesting because like both of them want to kind of get the fight to the ground, but like, is his, is this kids grappling on a different level than Ronnie at this point? I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, just going through all of it. It's like Mario Bautista has been showing so many huge improvements recently. Like he's ranked at 24. It's like, we're going to find out pretty quickly. I think with this kid in the next couple of years, uh, where the sky is and somebody's gonna humble him but just it's mma it's like it's not like boxing it's like you lose once that's fine you know go back to the drawing board take six months off like you got he has so much time ahead of him i'm not giving up on him as a prospect i'm actually pretty impressed by what i've seen for his age um and yeah christian rodriguez is probably a, a decent but stern test uh can't wait to find out but it, it won't be getting my money this week uh moving on down we got chris, uh kelvin gastelum taking on chris the action man curtis cody's boy who you got yeah i'm gonna go action man here i think it's a i think it's a winnable fight for him i think it's gonna go 15 minutes uh i'd like the overs on this fight but uh action man just outworks out him right he's got the superior volume he can't get in caught him to a fight like his last time out against joaquin buckley where he just allows his opponent to outwork him the entire time and lands that big knockout i think he's gonna have to be the guy doing the volume, doing the working, go out there and put those numbers together. When Chris Curtis came to the UFC, the big thing I, I lauded about him was 15 minutes all day. This guy's got excellent cardio, excellent pace, excellent volume. He's able to put up those big numbers, and I think that's what breaks guys down. Uh, in his fight with, say, uh, his debut against Phil Hawes, right? He does the same thing. He lets Phil Hawes tee off on him, lands the big shot. Smart fighter. He fights with – he's like the top spar sparring partner, sorry – for uh, Sean Strickland. So you know he's dealing with large volume in the gym on a daily basis. He spars with some of the best guys in Las Vegas. He's extremely comfortable, but he sees those openings. So if you want to try to out-volume him, because he's the volume guy, if you want to out-volume him, he'll sit back and pick those spots. He did against Hawes. He did his last time against Buckley. But if you're not going to sit back, that's when he starts to come into his own finest range, right? Uh, on the regional scene, he needs to do it all the time. Definitely clip over 100 significant strikes. In the UFC, he did it against Rodolfo Vieira, landed 109, and then stuffed like 21 takedown attempts on top of that. So I think that would probably go out and win the day. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum, I don't know what it is lately, but he's not engaging these guys. You go back to his fight with Israel Adesanya, where he could be in a 2-2 fight going into the fifth round, where a tiny little 5-9 former welterweight is extending the quote-unquote king deep into the fifth round. Well, like he got smoked the entire fifth round, but going into the fifth round, he had been extending him. Lands a head kick of all things. He landed almost just under almost 100 significant strikes in that wild scrap. Since then, the, the volume's just not there. Him and Darren Till, 15 full minutes. He landed 40, right? Uh, he got sub quick against Hermanson, doesn't matter. Him versus Heinish went a full 15 minutes. Ian Heinish is a top 40. 
maybe top 50 guy at, at the weight class. Anyways, he beats him by decision, lands 38 significant strikes. Him versus Robbie Whitaker. I'll give him a pass there. It's Robbie Whitaker. He got outstruck 150 to 62 over the course of 25 minutes. And then his last fight against Jared Cannonier. The volume looks good because he outstruck Jared Cannonier. Huge feather in your cap. 89, not bad number. But it's over five rounds, man. It's a five-round fight. Like, if you if you want to break it down, the guy's landing in the range of 50, 60 significant strikes over 15 minutes at best. So it's just not going to be enough volume. The other thing with Chris Curtis is that Chris Curtis is a welterweight. I don't care what anybody says. The guy's a 170-pound fighter. He's five foot ten. The vast majority of his career is at 170. He took a short notice opportunity to fight at 185 in the UFC. By the way, he had fought previously at 85, but is not a natural middleweight. And it's like, boom, he knocks out Phil Haas at 85. So it's like, okay, I'll I'll take another one. And he knocks out uh, Brandon Allen at 185. Nice win for him. Definitely one that aged well as well. You know, Jack Hermanson, another 85. He's stuck at 85. But dig this. When you look at those lists of guys he's fought, Phil Haas is huge, okay? He's a big guy. There's no world that exists that Phil Haas makes 170 pounds. Maybe when he was in junior high. Brandon Allen... This is a huge guy. He's massive. There's no world that exists that Brandon Allen makes 170. He's a big middleweight. Rodolfo Vieira is as gack as you could be while still pissing clean for USADA legally, right? Massive, massive, thick guy. Jack Hermanson is a big middleweight. Joaquin Buckley, not the biggest, but you see how fit he is. The chest on him, the muscles on him. He could make 170. He has made 170, but not necessarily the biggest guy going. What I'm getting at is, Chris should be fighting welterweights, and they've done him no favors by giving him a solid list of middleweights for the most part. Calvin's not a solid middleweight. He's not. And he comes into this fight uh, five foot nine with a 71-inch reach. Action man's five foot ten with a 75-inch reach, which means not only does he have the superior volume, he has a four-inch reach advantage and a better jab. He can stay to the outside and just box him up. He can sit in the pocket and box him up. Calvin might switch to his Arizona State wrestling uh, background, but... I think Action Man's got some of the best takedown defense at 185 pounds. And by the numbers in the UFC, he's had a lot of success stuffing takedowns. No reason to believe he shouldn't be able to stuff Kelvin Gastelum's takedowns, keep it competitive, win the fight. So sign me up for Action Man. I agree with most of the statements. Uh, quick quick question. Uh, the takedowns on prize picks are set at 0.5. Obviously, Chris Curtis hasn't been taken down in the UFC. Gastelum... Has a bit of a wrestling background, but it's like, I don't know if it's that great. It's like, I don't know if it's anything more than what the action man sees at the gym in Las Vegas every single day, you know, training, training among those, uh, those savages and heathens. Um, I think the most interesting bet, uh, so sorry, quick questions. Like uh, it's kind of like cheeky to like do a 0.5 to the under, but it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a 15-minute stand-up fight, and that's why I like Chris Curtis. But what I like even more, it's like Chris Curtis doesn't really have much of a jiu-jitsu game. So if the fight does go to the ground, I wouldn't really expect him to find a sub. And that's how Kelvin Gastelum gets finished in most of his fights. I see, like, plus 240 out there on Chris Curtis by decision. Like, that seems... That's probably, as we've been breaking down this card, my favorite look, I think, so far. Like, I'm definitely as soon as we're done here, going to be uh, finding where I can get down on that. Because, like, I expect these guys to go a full 15 minutes. Um, the over two and a half is juiced up to minus 220. Like, if Curtis can just win on the scorecards, and I'm prepared, we're in Florida, I'm prepared to be 
disappointed by the judges. Like these things happen in MMA. It, I'm, I'm used to it at this point, but plus 220 on a fight that, that I think that's probably the most likely outcome of it. I think I can rather even taking the money line, juice it up to, yeah, plus 240s are out there right now on Curtis by decision. So I am definitely scooping some of that up. But well, yeah, quickly, uh, do you think do you think I'm just getting too cute on the under two, under 0.5 takedowns on prize picks? So like on one hand, like could the guy fall on top of yeah. him? Could he score that one take? Justin Gaethje had no takedowns, right? That was the big thing versus Fazayev. It's like, will he use his wrestling? And he didn't, but he did score the one takedown yeah, for no exactly. other reason than I wanted to prove I could. So oh, 0.5, it's like even a fluke could happen and yeah. the guy falls Catches over. Catches a but, kick. Yeah, I, yeah, ex- not that exactly. Curtis doesn't really throw too many kicks, but you, you know I was, was I mean. going to say Curtis is not really a kicker, and when he does kick, and they're not body kicks or head kicks, it's all like low at best. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be a boxing match for the most part. I think Kelvin is another one of these guys that's looking to feed off the energy of the crowd, look to come forward, uh, look to you know throw some spots. He's going to be able to outwork Chris Curtis if he chooses to. His volume just hasn't been there in his past couple fights. He pulled out of his last fight with this gnarly, like all of the bottom teeth in his jaw had been smashed out. He takes a picture of himself thinking it's going to go over well on the internet. Like, damn guys, like smash my bottom teeth out, but I'm a warrior and I'll be back. And it blows up in his face. Quite literally staph infection on his face in this picture. Why are you posting this? And then, and then I read through these comments and it was a bunch of like guys that have trained with them, former training partners, people have worked with them. And they're like, Homie's always got staph. He's just a dirty dude. He's always got a staph infection. Now, staph is not just a skin infection. Like, it affects you as well. Guys will, you know, run a fever. Guys will get sick. They'll get sluggish. He pulls out because he's smashed the bottom end of his teeth out. But he's also dealing with a staph infection. So part of you has to wonder, like, you know, is he going to come out here and try to wrestle the conserve? Is he going to have one of these, let's stand there and fight? Is he going to try to land over 100 significant strikes? No scenario seems like, I want to have money on this guy. So Chris Curtis, technically speaking, he's the money line underdog. So dog or pass at best. But I like Chris Curtis. Let's take that underdog money. Doesn't really exist, but all the same. But that, like you're saying, Chris is going to win this fight, I think, by decision. Kelvin's got a good chin. He's always had a good mm-hmm. chin. Chris could land that one big kill shot. He landed it on Buckley. He landed on Phil Hawes. He landed on Brandon Allen. Those guys have not gone five rounds with Israel Adesanya. Those guys haven't fought some of the best guys in the world. Those guys aren't coming off a, a, a decision over Jared Cannonier, one of the murderous power punchers in the division. Kelvin Gastelum has proven. He's proven durable. He's also proven not that good, but he is proven durable. So uh, to be able to increase it two and a half times from an even money line to plus 240 makes absolute sense. The bookie by fact of damn, Chris Curtis is knocking out a lot of guys in the UFC. Let's not set a generous knockout line. Let's water it down. It's like, fair, fair. Who's he been knocking out? Could he knock out Kelvin? It's MMA, sure. But I would think logic says decision. So what you're saying makes uh, 100% sense. Giddy up. Let's go. All right, we got uh, Luana Pinheiro taking on Michelle Waterson Gomez. Minus 160 for Pinheiro, plus 140. For Watterson, Gomez, the karate mommy, back in action. Um, who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one's one of those Pat Mayo would just slap me in the face and tell me to move on with the plus uh, 145 on Michelle Watterson. She's got the back class, the experience, has fought at a higher level. She's got all those different things. 
thing is, is that, you know, at some point you got to watch tape and you got to look at the dynamics of it. I don't know. It just seems like Luana Carolina is a better striker than her. It seems to sit down on her shots a little bit better, has a little more sting. Her wrestling seems a little bit better. She seems a little stronger overall, a little more physical. You know, maybe she wins this fight. The Stephanie Frosto fight in the contender series, that's a low-level opponent, right? So to win a spectacular first-round knockout doesn't do much for me. The fight with Randa Marcos, she looks awful. She wins by disqualification. Not a good fight. Didn't look good prior to the, the disqualification. And it definitely left you with like a sense of maybe she wanted out of that fight because she wasn't it wasn't really going super smooth, let's say. And then her last fight with Sam Hughes, I thought she looked a lot better. Again, she's got some legitimate striking, decent power for this weight class, something you don't necessarily see, and had a, a wrestling advantage over Sam Hughes enough that she could get her takedowns when need be. This fight against Watterson, I think she could rely on those takedowns again, take down Watterson, set up shopping guard, win rounds that way. She could also land, you know, the, the heavier shots. Thing is, this it's, it's women's 115 pounds. It's in Florida. And you got Michelle Watterson, who's like a total fan favorite on the challenge, mega babe, excellent mother, fought all the best, most marketable fighters in the UFC's division for a long time. Could she keep this thing close and competitive and maybe make it like one of those 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 greasy split decisions where we've got, you know, big underdog or big favorite on the other side? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I feel like I want to take Luana Carolina younger, faster, stronger. I think she's got better wrestling. I think she's got more power in her stand-up. I think she wins this fight. I just get burned in these spots all the time. So <laughs> you could dog her past this one. You could take Watterson. I wouldn't fault you. I will take Pinero. It is, I'm going to put it way down the list this week. Yeah. You know what Pat is probably? He just probably just had like a little convulsion right now. And he said, give your head a shake, pal. Wow. Um <laughs> Watterson is definitely we're at the we're kind of at the end of her career. She's one of the you know the pioneers of this division, but and like even round one against Lamont, she was looking okay, but it's like I don't know. She's getting finished the way that she did in that fight. Only win is a split decision win over Angela Hill in the last three or three and a half years now. She's been fighting the best fighters in the division. By no means am I. I mean, it's still dogger pass for me. I just don't think I'm actually going to be firing on it. But for the purpose of the show, in a fight that I think is going to be relatively close, Pinheiro hasn't really proven much to me. Like, frankly, the Ronda Marcos debacle was a bit of a... It left, like, kind of a sour taste in my mouth, I think. Um, she did follow it up against Sam Sam, Sam Hughes and, and won a pretty clear decision there, but... Um, it's a, I think it's a relatively big step up on competition. If this was closer to a pick I would probably pick Pinheiro. But at minus 160, they're saying she wins 60% of the, or she wins, yeah, close to 60% of the time. I think it's probably more like 50-50. So I'll, I'll side with what I think is the value side in Michelle Karate, the Karate Hottie, uh, Watterson at plus 140. But don't love it. Don't love it. I mean, it's, it's no Curtis, 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 ah. Chris Curtis by decision. I'll tell you that much. Uh, we got Joe Pfeiffer taking on Gerald Mearshart. Minus 190 for Pfeiffer, plus 165 for Mearshart. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'll take one for the team here and win everybody else money this week by taking Joe Pfeiffer. And uh, whenever I bet against Gerald Mearshart, he hits. Whenever Jeremy Ger- Mearshart's plus money, he seems to hit. 
And this is really good plus money on Jared Mearshart, considering he's got a lot of tools to win this fight. He's fought way better guys. Uh, when you go through his record, Bruno Silva, Christoph Jodko, uh, Mahmoud Muradov, Kazmat Chmaev, Ian Heinish, Eric Anders, Trevin Giles, Kevin Holland, Jack Hermanson, Thiago Santos. No doubt about it that he's fought in a higher level of competition than this. And so he's got the experience. He's got, you know, 50 professional fights. I mean, this is 51st professional fight. But not only that, it's like he's he, he's got the submission game as well. Pfeiffer's loss on the contender series against uh, Dustin Stolfus, he gets slammed in his arm breaks. But prior to that, he got guillotine choked by Jonathan Patti, who's small, small for the weight class, not in particularly great shape, snags him up. If you're getting caught in guillotine chokes especially because you let your neck a little too far in, Jeremy Mearshart's going to be snatching him up all day long. Pfeiffer's also only 26 years old, so he's still young. He's prone to make mistakes. A lot of people are hyping him up right now, but if he buys into his own hype, uh, he's going to be making mistakes. Making mistakes is a part of life. It's a part of fighting. Making mistakes against Jeremy Shark tends to get you caught. Like this some bitch is getting his ass beat for the vast majority of these bouts. And then his opponents, they'll, they'll get tired. They'll slip. They'll leave their neck out there. Mearshart, Mearshart's in the apple pie. This is what he does. This guy's probably cost me more, than any, more money than anybody. And yet, I still can't get behind him because his chin looks very, very vulnerable. You know, his durability is not all that good. His offensive wrestling, even though he's racking up takedowns, it just looks like he's not the strongest guy going. Striking doesn't look like there's much power. And then all of a sudden, he hits you with a liver kick or he'll, you know, be a teep up the middle. And these guys curl over from fatigue. So I think he's just one of those guys that's not sexy. He's not a sexy fighter. He's easy to pass over. It's, oh, the guy's no good. And as a result, I've had to pay. A number of times so why am i doing it to myself once again well i got a couple underdogs on the card already that i like a little bit more than this jeremy Urshard is a guy that me and him just don't click if i was to bet him he would flub around get ko'd in the first and i would feel like an idiot i'm not going to bet against i'm not going to bet on him and he's probably going to pull off one of these second round comebacks of some type so those are the reasons why mirror shark could win this fight the reasons i'm taking pie for meanwhile is I do think that this kid is uh, is very very talented. Uh, he's got like a bit of a bit of a tough background, you know, personal relationship with his father and all these things. But he's a career martial artist, man. The kid's been doing jiu-jitsu, classic Japanese jiu-jitsu to begin, and then later Brazilian jiu-jitsu since he was like two three years old. Kickboxing champion, state wrestling champion. The guy can wrestle. The guy can strike. The guy's young. When he came on the contender series against Dustin Stolfus, I I liked him. Right, Pennsylvania kid, strong, young, good shape, smart. Uh, very well spoken, and that uh, he gets his arm broken, Shogun Hua, Mark Coleman style. So unfortunate break for him, but still so young. So the fact that he's fought his way back to the UFC and has gone on a little run here and is taking on guys, great, great, perfect. But to go back to your point earlier in the show, is it with these young guys like Rosas, like the UFC's a knack of going too too quick too soon. Well, on one hand, we got here Joseph Pfeiffer, 26, not super young, not very old here. This is his... Second fight in the UFC. His notable wins to this point have been Alan Amandovsky and Ozzy Diaz. Maybe Austin Troutman. Maybe that time he beat seven and six Chase Gamble. And he's taking on Gerald Mearshart in his second fight in the UFC. Did we not read off the list of Mearshart opponents in the past? Like th this guy is a serviceable, proven gatekeeper that's fought way better guys. And, you, and, and you're looking at this kind of plus money. It's like, God damn, plus one, six, and five on Mearshart. Could he teach this kid a lesson? Yeah. Could he fight in the neck and lock it up? Yeah. Very tempted to play it. 
But uh, I like Pfeiffer. I think the arm break was a fluke. I was high up on him. The arm break has given you some pause for concern because whatever, bad luck. You know, you, got, you bet breaks his arm. What can you do? Um, but, but I think he was a bright prospect. He's still young. He's finally got a little bit of money sent his way. Dana helped him out. He had some rent issues, some personal issues. Dana personally helped the kid out. He's back on his feet. And everyone raves about him. So I feel like he's got more power than Mirashard. He catches him clean, standing, and can knock him out. Mirashard's been knocked out by many guys in the past. I feel like Piper's got more than enough technique and power to get me that first-round KO. If he does not get me that first-round KO, that's okay. He's got a wrestling advantage. He can take down Mirashard. He's just going to make sure he doesn't shoot his head, his head uh, too far to the outside into the guillotine. Or that when he is on top, he doesn't leave his arm in. Or he doesn't, you know, he's not there for the triangle. By God, don't gas out and give up your back. Because if Mirashard gets on your back, you've got serious, serious problems on your hand. There's, I, I just, I can't get, I can't get behind Mirashard. Even these wins of his, right? The Dustin Stolfus fight. He's losing to Dustin Stolfus. He is on his way to losing the fight. Taken down in the third. Looks cooked. Pulls it off in rear naked mm-hmm. choke. Hold a victory from the jaws of defeat against Dustin Stolfus, man. The Makhman Muradov fight, he gets killed in the first round. He looks awful in the first round. Ah, but then what do you know? He catches him in the second when Muradov slows down and tires out. He's got a knack for those comeback wins. The drawn win fight, you know, take him into the third round, tire him out, get the win. He's, he's able to beat guys on the basis of them not being that good down the stretch. And I'm just hoping that Pfeiffer... You'll see this guy in great shape. I think he's got great cardio. And when he does not fade down the stretch, that's the reason I, I balls haven't dropped far enough for me to bet Mirashard in this one. So I will end up taking the favorite, Joe Piper. Piper may knock him out in the first round too, though. Like that's definitely in play. We've seen that with you know, Gerald getting knocked out by Chemayev with a right cross in 17 seconds. We saw it <clears throat> against <laughs> Ian Heinish as well. It's like his chin's not the greatest. He's... Mm-mm. He's he's a, he's a he's a tricky tricky guy to cap. I mean, I think if you're going to bet uh, Mirshard, he's a better live ad, a hundred percent. Like he's probably he gonna lose first. Yeah. He's good if he gonna if he gets out of the first. I think round one's gonna be ugly. Pfeiffer's the better athlete, more fluid on his feet, lands the much bigger shots. But we have questions about Pfeiffer, and obviously, you know, one guy's got. Over 50 professional fights, and he's been around the block, let me tell you. The other guy's got 11 professional fights and got submitted by Jonathan Petit. Like, ee. Obviously, that one happened in round two. If if Mearshart's able to get through the first five minutes, I'll be looking to try to to, to scoop up some live money, I think. Um, I'll pick Pfeiffer with you. I think he's going to be too much early on in this fight. And maybe he'll show some massive improvements to me. But in the live betting window, I will. If this gets through five five minutes, I'll be very, very interested in, in what Gerald Mearshart or even Gerald Mearshart inside the distance is after five minutes. So it's kind of my look there. Pick his pipe for, uh, I think, Mearshart. Yeah, you'd be kind of silly, I think, to take Mearshart uh, plus 165 pre-flop like you'll get a much better number guy isn't unless he gets a takedown early and finds a submission I suppose that's obviously in play um, I think most scenarios that this fight plays out you get a much better number after five minutes uh, on mere sharp all right we got Carl Williams taking on Chase the vanilla gorilla uh, Sherman Carl Williams minus 400 favorite Sherman can be had for plus 330. Williams coming in on short notice. 
uh, filling in on this fight, but we had talked about it before. Not exactly, you know, this guy as of like 10 months ago or so was fighting at, uh, was fighting at 205. So he just kind of filled out. His wrestling has looked on point, like his fight on the Contender Series, out-wrestled like a collegiate superstar. Um, his MMA wrestling is obviously super solid. And then last time out, just came out, stuck to the game plan, and just took down Lucas Breschke at, at, at will um, over and over and over. I don't know really much about what's going on with his stand-up game. I know that Chase Sherman's uh, Chase Sherman's wrestling is an absolute disaster historically. I'm sure he's working on it every single day, but like I can understand why Carl Williams is the favorite here. But I think he's a little bit too much of a favorite. I saw I scooped up a little bit of a plus three ninety on Chase Sherman, and you know me, Cody. I'm not a Chase Sherman guy. I rarely ever really bet him. Not don't really give him all that much respect. But like facts being facts is like. He's he. I don't think he's making two oh five at any time. Um, yeah, Romanov went out there, took him down, absolutely bullied him. That's kind of what could happen here, but I don't know if Carl Williams has the submission skills to close the show. And if Chase just keeps coming, keeps throwing, I think this could get a lot greasier than the price indicates. So I'm gonna pick Chase Sherman. Uh, for uh, a pretty big upset here. Um, we'll see where the market ends by the end of the week. Uh, the plus 390 I scooped up. It was a small bet because they weren't taking too much lim- or too much on the limits there. I think this close is probably closer to like, I mean, plus 300 Sherman maybe out there. That's that's where I think it probably ends by the end of the week. Like I think it's heavyweights, heavyweight, crazy stuff happens in heavyweight all the time. Sherman should have a a massive volume advantage on the feet. I would be very careful taking Carl Williams on short notice as a minus 400 favorite. That's really my, my real takeaway. Heavyweight is kind of like, like, you know, WMMA. It's just like very, very high variance. We used to have like an auto, like anytime they, they rarely ever do. It's like when you get like a plus 400 heavyweight underdog, I would just like spam them back in the day. And it, and it worked out a whole bunch of times because Big guys hit hard and and yeah, like what do we? Re- I know you picked Bresky last time out, so like you can't be very high on Carl Williams here either. So I was gonna start my breakdown by saying, not very often do I go from picking against a guy to thinking he's one of the better plays this week. But yeah, I think Carl Williams is actually one of the better plays this okay. week. Now, I agree, greasy heavyweight fights, Paul. How many times have we seen this? And pretty much any fight that involves Chase Sherman is a greasy heavyweight fight. He is a greasy heavyweight fighter. Carl Williams, former 205-er, we outlined that heavily in the last fight against Bershewski coming in, is that he's not a natural heavyweight. It was only a second fight at heavyweight, and uh, how would he be able to deal with it? Bershewski, meanwhile, had fought Martin Budai, who's a 265-pound heavyweight, so he figured to be getting some class relief here against Carl Williamson, or Carl Williams. I'll tell you this against Carl Williams. Comes into that fight with Jimmy Lawson, not really known for his wrestling, Jimmy Lawson is the p- former Penn State All-American, you know, big-time college wrestling standout. And he took him down with ease the entire time. So he throw that one as a fluke. But still pretty impressive. You strictly out-wrestled a guy that was strictly a wrestler. Fair enough. It's the Lucas Berchewski fight. So I bet Berchewski. Okay, let's watch it. Berchewski's the better striker. That fight stays standing. He wins the fight. 
Carl Williams trying to get in on his hips. He's struggling at times against the bigger man, but he almost always gets him up against the cage. When he gets him up against the cage, he's throwing him. He's not just taking him down. He's tossing him around. At the end of the first round, it looks like Carl Williams is tired, and he picked him up and suplexed him. There was no need to suplex him because you're already looking tired. It's just the first round. You'd already won the first round. The extra takedown at the end does you no good. The fact that you picked up the 240-pound man and dumped him on his head does you no good. Uh, but he, he did it anyways. Second round, he comes out. He looked better in the second round than he did in the first. Now Bershewski couldn't get up eventually. The first round, he's making him work, making Williams work and get up. The second round, he can't get up. The third round, he sure as shit can't get up. Like, the longer it went, Williams just sucked the life out of him. And I think that's the problem with Chase Sherman is that he gives up takedowns to a lot of guys. He got a 66% takedown defense in the UFC, which is not bad but he's not fought in a whole lot of wrestlers. When he does fight the wrestling guys, they take him down and they absolute smash him. When he's on the ground, he's got almost nothing for the vast majority of his opponents. Like he's fish out of water. Jake Collier mounted him, beat piss out of him, took his back and rear naked, choked him all in two and a half minutes. Jake Collier, a natural middleweight who got laughed at, got laughed at hard because of his physique, decimates him on the ground. Alexander Romanov, I just did a shoe earlier in the episode because he's a bum, okay? Dominates him on the ground. If you've got any type of grappling, any type of wrestling, you're going to get him down. Now, I was starting to buy a little back on Chase Sherman. Like, uh, here's a guy that's got a lot of experience, and he, he's got good mobility and good output for a heavyweight. So if his cardio is decent, he'll be a serviceable heavyweight. And it looked like he was getting a little bit better. But that last fight against Waldo Cortez Acosta, this is a perfect fight for Chase Sherman. The guy doesn't want to wrestle you. He's a former pro boxer. We're going to be able to have a stand-up battle. And he's a volume guy. I'm a volume guy. Chase Sherman was shooting for the takedowns in that fight. Chase Sherman absolutely gassed out after the first round. And the second and the third, especially the third, woof, is just abysmal. He got tripled up on the striking numbers. He tired, didn't look good. Not a great bounce back. That's the kind of stylistic fight he likes. So this Williams fight, Williams just takes him down in the first and just wins the first. Chase Sherman is not like a second and third round kind of guy. Like he can go 15 minutes, but he's almost always got his hands on his hips looking up at the Jumbotron, huffing and puffing, skin's red as the sun. Like it's a greasy heavyweight fight. But I think Williams just takes him down and dominates him on the ground. Might finish him on the ground for all I know. But at the very least, it's like he can just go to that back and forth. Sherman doesn't have a great get-up game. Williams has shown even if you do get up, he can toss you around. Sherman is about 15 pounds heavier than Berchewski. So is that enough? You know, is that way, is that, would that be considered way bigger? You know, it's a weight class in the UFC for the most part. But at heavyweight, is an extra 15 pounds that big of a deal? I'm going to say no. So... I gotta go Williams. Not top ticket, simply because, and Paul said it himself, heavyweights. Like you don't want you don't want heavyweights on your top ticket, even if they were good heavyweights. You don't want greasy heavyweights on your top ticket, never. So in that regard, yeah, he's not all the way at the top. But and minus four hundred is a great price. I probably not. When you're looking at stylistical clashes here, Sherman can't wrestle. Sherman can't grapple. Sherman's got poor cardio. Williams can wrestle. Can grapple. Seems to have good 15-minute cardio. Short notice, sure. Not short notice coming off the couch. Short notice just fought two weeks ago. Also, doesn't have to cut any weight. So it's not like short notice I had to go and die in, in a sauna and drop 20 pounds. It's just like, yeah, cool. I took no damage against Brzezinski. I got my UFC debut out of the way. I got the jitters out of the way. 
financially I'm the most comfortable I've been in my career. Why not jump into this short notice fight with Chase Sherman, who poses very little risk and has a big name. Everybody knows Chase Sherman. If you're a fight fan, you know who Chase Sherman is. Great opportunity to, to jump up and get a name opponent that doesn't have a name brand skill set. So uh, I think Williams beats him up. All right. I got a greasy proposition for you, Cody. Shouts Ooh, to my guy. You won't take a shoey on this. It's bad value. <laughs> Shout, shouts to my buddy, Tony. I knew, I knew that in a... I wasn't sure if you were going to pick Williams, but he's minus 400. I figured yeah. maybe you probably would. Um, so shouts to my boy Tony for coming up with this idea. You know, a lot of times you've tried to make shoey bets with me on like a minus 200, that type of thing. Here's the deal. If Chase Sherman wins, you do three a three-beer shoey at the beginning of the show. You'll be hammered for the rest of the episode. If Carl Williams wins, I do one. I do one seltzer. A seltzer. I okay. mean, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm in. Seltzers I'm in. are not easy to shoot. So three to one. I'm giving you slight value on that number still, but like we can't be going one for one on these types of things. Like I'm taking a dog shot. So we've got a three to one deal here, right? Internet handshake. I don't know how we how we make how we do this. But you have Internet to do handshake. Yeah, like, yeah. You, yeah, you don't have to do them that's all fair. three in one. Maybe like I'm get get I'm one in. of your get a cowboy boot out, and uh, you could try to do it all in one, <laughs> or you could spread them out over the course of the episode if it makes it a little bit easier. Because like I think that would be pretty tough. I, we saw you do the one earlier today, and like frankly, I don't know if you. Got you know what? I don't I know if you got like enough. Was... I don't know if you got another two in yet. To be perfectly honest. Most definitely got another two in me. I felt pushed, pushed on that last one that I did earlier in the show. Maybe it was the I see. I, I'm not an excuse making guy, but it was a wrestling boot with ventilation on the side. And as soon as I start pouring it, I could feel the it leaking into my hand. So I was like, I better get this thing going right away. And it was a little, it was a little foamy, and I struggled a little bit. And I haven't done a shoey. This is my first one in 2023. So I will definitely take that deal. And uh, I'm almost hoping that you win so I can prove to the fans. <laughs> free Shuey Cody. I'm, I'm going to spice it up for you one bet. Okay? Ooh, I like... I'll take the deal. Three mm -hmm. Shuey versus one. And if I got to do the three, I'll do the three before the start of the prelims. So I, we always break it down main card, then prelims. Okay. So I'll do those three Shueys in those first five fights. Hopefully it's a six-fight main card. <laughs> and then I'll probably be, I'll probably be drunk for the prelims. Three to one shoey uh, bets. It, the the yeah. game is evolving here. The game and is only evolving. the DJs hang out late in the show, whereas the respectful people tune out. YouTube tells you it's like twenty two and a half minutes of the show, so they tune out. And then, uh, yeah, well, it'll be a floor, a full on Florida party next week. Yeah, I think that's like a. I think it's an average thing when you look at those stats on YouTube. It's like there's certain people that like autoplay. You know, autoplay, they end up on us and they're like, oh my God, who are these idiots? And then they just leave the video immediately. And then there's, I think I most play people. play on other idiots all the time. So yeah. I'm 100%, man. I'm listening to like Peter Frampton and you leave the room and you come back and it's like, it could be anything because it's just going by what your history is, which is usually like music, Lots fights. Of MMA. Uh, yeah, but greasy MMA. So it's not just tailoring you to UFC. It'll be like, you watched that fight from Tonga one time. How do you want to watch these other fights from Tonga? It's like, not really, but I, I guess so, sure. And uh, generally entertaining. No blood test required. Very scary proposition. Hondo P. All right, I'm going to make a coffee, but I'll uh, tee this up for you. Just like, give me, yeah, you talk for at least two minutes here. We got Lupi Godinez taking on Cynthia Calvillo. 
Godin has a minus 300 favorite. Calvillo can be had for plus 250. Take it away, Cody. Okay, talk for two minutes at least. No problem. Another greasy women's MMA spot. And it's not just, you know, we're getting lazy here. And we're not breaking them down. We're just going to throw to Pat's theory. Har, har, har. No, it's more than that. It's that when you're betting minus 300 on somebody, there's certain expectations, okay? Loopy would have some of them. Does she have a boxing advantage over Cynthia Calvillo? Perhaps. You know, this is a girl that does have some decent boxing. She's very fluid. Calvillo's definitely a four-fight losing streak, has a, you know, regression to her game. I think Godinez has the striking advantage. The wrestling. Man, Calvillo was a former wrestling coach at Team Alpha Male. She's in Las Vegas now. She's trained with some of the better fighters. She has decent wrestling. Hard to say Godinez has the advantage, but from what you see at Godinez at her best, I would say wrestling advantage. Are those two things enough to give you minus 300 status? Ah, maybe not, but maybe it's close. Ring IQ. Ring IQ has to be the highest thing. So if you're betting high favorite with bad ring IQ, it's recipe for disaster. Now, we briefly talked about it with Kevin Holland earlier. Here's somebody who's a sizable enough favorite in a spot against Santiago Ponzinibbio, and he makes poor choices. Poor choices are going to lead you to being in close fights, fights that are way closer than they should be, and ultimately you losing these close split decisions. Godinez has shown exactly that. Their fight with Jessica Penne, there's no reason to try to grapple Jessica Penne. She has almost abysmal striking. She's one of the worst defensive strikers in, in the division's history. She just wears damage so bad that a couple shots is enough for the judges. Like, ah, broken nose, a little blood here. They'll score you the round. Don't grapple her. She's a black belt. She's pretty much only good in scrambles and has a knack for taking the back and yet exclusively just tries to wrestle her. Her fight with Luana Carolina exclusively tries to wrestle. You know what the bad ring IQ in that fight was? Was Luana Carolina super tall, okay? So Godinez keeps trying body lock uh, take tests. Everything from the upper body. You need to go low. Shoot a single. Shoot low. No, 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 no. Everything body up. Couldn't make the adjustments. And then her last fight with Angela Hill. She comes in as a big favorite. Wouldn't you know? She always does. We talk about it on the preview show. We mentioned the fact that Angela Hill's always in close fights. Mostly split decisions. That kind of plus money on Angela Hill. Dogger pass. The fight starts. Godinez, who's been relying heavily on this wrestling for her last two fights, warranted or not, decides to throw her wrestling game right out the window, exclusively strike with Angela Hill. What could you be possibly thinking? The path to beating Hill is the takedowns. You can take her down. You've been wrestling your past couple fights and just complete 180, I'm cool with getting boxed up and just hands the fight to Angela Hill on a silver platter. So is she talented? Yes. Is she still making improvements? Yes. Is her coaching staff trying to drill this stuff into her? I'm sure they are. But minus 300 in a women's MMA fight where I got Lupita Godinez that if she's got a wrestling advantage, she'll strike. If she's got a striking advantage, she'll wrestle. I don't love it. And then and then the thing with taking the underdog shot on Calvillo, it's like it, it's marginal how much better is Godinez in these departments. How much better of a striker than is she than you? Well, not marginally, just a little bit better. How much better of a wrestler could she potentially be than you? You know, a little bit. You look at the four-fight losing streak, mm, don't like it. Look at the fact that she's 35 years old. Mm, don't like it. Calvillo probably isn't at the top of her game anymore. Mm-hmm. But Kayla Chikagian is a former world title challenger, top three girl in the world. Jessica Andrade is a former world champion, top three or five girl in the world. Uh, Andrea Lee, ah, that one, you know, a little bit harder to stomach, but I don't know. She quit on her stool. That's why that one was hard for me to stomach. And then her last time against Nina Nunez, you know, Amanda Nunez's wife, formerly uh, Nina Ansaroff, you know, a high-level fighter coming off a long layoff and birth of a child. But 
still close, still competitive. Like, I wouldn't completely rule her out as washed. I wouldn't say she's ever lost to an opponent that's not good. Even the lost Andrea Lee, you know, optics of it, certainly poor. But uh, Andrea Lee is pretty good, and especially in that fight, came in wicked good shape. So could she pull out uh, an upset or at least a close fight against someone like Lupita Godinez? Yeah, I think so. But do I got balls to pull the trigger out of now? I just don't. I just don't. Cynthia Cavio is on a four-fight losing streak for a reason. Good competition or not, she hasn't looked competitive in those fights. The last time she won a fight was three years ago. It was against Jessica I. Again, not a very good fight. And then prior to that, she had been uh, struggling to make weight at 115. So I don't think she's the biggest flyweight to begin with. She's now 35. She's on a four-fight losing streak. She left Team Alpha Male for greener pastures in Vegas and then realized it was the desert. I don't, I don't know that I can fully get behind her even as an underdog play, but this is why Pat Mayo is the most profitable MMA gambler I've ever met because he pretty much only bets these greasy women MMA spots at big plus money. They're close, they're competitive, and he greases them out more times than not. So don't feel bad if you're taking a shot at Calvillo. Don't feel bad if you're passing. That is the move. On something like a 13-fight PRP, the pick is going to end up being on, uh, on her opponent, Lupita Godinez. But for a minus 300, no, we're talking like fourth line, fifth line, low, lower on the list for sure. Yeah, my CF dot model, Cody, is off the charts on this one. Um, Cheesecake Factory Calvillo was like, she that was, that was a different beast back then. She was very hungry. She lost something along the way. Like, she's not nearly as tenacious. Obviously, the quitting on the stool, that was a bit of a red flag, but... Last time out against uh, Nina, Nina Nunez was, I mean, by the stats, she, you know, took her down three times, uh, landed more significant strikes. Like, maybe, maybe she's found something. And at plus 250, I think it's pretty clearly dogger pass in this fight. The problem with Loopy and, like, where I've sworn her off was the Angela Hill fight last time out. We were on her, had her by decision. Eh, Angela Hill's super, super durable. Um, you know, she's been around the block. So it's like, rather than laying the minus 300 minus 350, it's just like, all right, they have like plus 110 on her to win by decision, like land the takedowns, win this fight pretty easy. Just spam takedowns. You've landed eight takedowns in one fight, five takedowns in another fight. It's just like, that's the game plan. Like, don't, don't hang out at range and kickbox with the kickboxer. And that game plan just, you can't be trusted, particularly at chalk moving forward um for me so um i think i put like 200 bucks earlier in the week on it but uh i may be adding more i'm gonna wait for weigh-ins cynthia cavillo has had some struggles not necessarily yeah at, at 115 pounds too where that has been the biggest problem for her um so yeah i'm gonna wait until weigh-ins but i may drop more on uh, Cynthia Calvillo at plus 250. I just think it's uh, it's more of like a system play, Cody. Uh, the, the, the Pat Mayo system, the CF DOP system, uh, it's, it's alarm bells are ringing that uh, Cynthia, Calvia, or Cynthia Calvillo is the side here. All right, we got Ignacio Bahamandes taking on Trey Ogden, minus 335 for Bahamandes, plus 275 for Ogden. Who you got? Bahamandes might be top ticket material. I think he absolutely goes there and rolls him up. I think this guy's got a very, very bright future. I like what I see out of him. Very young, still born in 1997. Like he's got a, a long, prosperous career ahead of him, 25 year old. But the fact that he's coming off this little layoff, it's not a bad thing for me. Like the last time you've seen him in competition is 
14 months ago, right? So whereas a lot of guys will talk about ring rust and why was he off and this and that, he was off because of visa issues. He could not get a visa, couldn't get out of his home country. Does that affect his ability to train at a high level? Sure, but he's 25 years old. Whatever he was doing at home was fine. He eventually gets his visa. He's eventually able to come over, get paid legally, and now he's jumping back in there. So I'm excited to see the improvements that he's made in his uh, off time, and I think he's a very you know solid fighter. Uh, what do I like about him? Okay, a couple things. First and foremost, you can't overlook this. He's six foot three with a 75 inch reach as a lightweight. This is the biggest lightweight on the roster, tie, uh, size wise and height wise. And then to put things into perspective, he's like only Kevin Holland, Israel Adesanya, and Alex Pereira are taller than him on this card. Like he's bigger than. A lot of people. Big boy. So when he figures out how to use that, he's going to be a problem. But because he's coming from an impoverished South American country, how much has he able been able to develop? How much has he had world-class coaching? How much has guys been able to tweak his game for him? So the older he gets and the more he works with those high-level coaches, he's going to be a problem. Using that size is going to give you good takedown defense. And he's got good takedown defense. Edson Gomez, Judo Blackbelt. Uh, nobody else particularly has been a great wrestler, but 95% takedown defense. And a lot of that is his height. And his size. Guys will shoot in on him. They just can't get him off of his feet. In terms of his volume, he's got volume for days. He lands 112 against John McDessie. He landed uh, 105 against Roosevelt Roberts. That fight had five seconds left in it. Bahamandes had won every single round. Bahamandes is going to win an easy decision here. And decides to wheel kick him in the face with five seconds left just because. His cardio is on point. His hips are pretty good. His volume's there. What's the fault on him? Uh, does not defensively and does not move his head, does not keep his hands up, and he he sits on his jab a little too long. He's there, dead there for the counter. John McDessie countered him all night, busted his face up bad, broke his nose, blood everywhere. The kid never stopped coming forward. He was 22 years old at the time. Come forward. You can see he had something there. Subsequently knocks out Roosevelt Roberts, his last fight with Rong Zhu. He outlanded him 126 to 48. Um, showed a decent, decent grappling off his back. He did give up one takedown. Uh, Ru Zong, or Zong Ru likes to wrestle a little bit, took him down. And uh, Bahamandes is the one throwing up the submissions, getting back up, making him work, and then chokes him out with the guillotine choke in the third round. So the kid's good, man. The kid's good. He's getting better. He's improving. And I think that he'll make a run in like two or three years. Three years, let's say. You'll start seeing him fight some of the elite guys and you'll start seeing them give them a lot of problems. He's a good striker. His takedown defense, once it gets up to that level, the volume, the cardio, the durability, he's just got to learn how to not get hit as much and uh, yeah, and can, can continue to evolve his game. Now, he was supposed to fight not that long ago. Ogden was supposed to fight not that long ago. So no one's, it's a short notice uh, matchup, but now the guy's really on short notice. The thing with Ogden is that Ogden comes in against Jordan Levitt, and he's supposed to be a BJJ black belt. He's supposed to have some good grappling. His wrestling looked not good in that fight. Bad wrestling. Jiu-Jitsu, okay. But for the most part, Levitt showed that he was the better grappler, I thought. And then in the third round, it's like Levitt just starts spamming leg kicks from the outside. Ogden had no answer for it. In his next fight against Daniel Zellhuber, who we kind of all bought a little bit of hype into, the golden boy, he played Levitt's game plan. Stay to the outside and just kick. So he outworks them 71 to 52. And I remember watching the TV and yelling at Zell Hoover, like, just, just do something, anything. Throw a kick, throw a punch, try to clinch up, do something. But the kid just got dazed and just, like, stared at Ogden. That Ogden looked like he was doubling him up, and he still only landed 71 significant strikes. This fight with Levitt, over 15 minutes, he landed 41 significant strikes. So 
quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, his wrestling is not good enough to get Ignacio Bahamondes down. Bahamondes is big, strong, with good hips, has wrestled better guys, and I feel like Ogden's not going to be able to just shoot his way to the inside. In terms of if he did get the fight to the ground, I think Bahamondes still gets back up. Being on the outside, is the game plan now to outwork Ignacio Bahamondes, who routinely puts up over 100 significant strikes? Not going to happen. And these little shitty leg kicks from the outside, whereas it worked on Zellhuber, where standing there and just kicking the calf and throwing a jab and, or maybe a one-two works on this young Mexican kid, the golden boy Zellhuber, who refuses to do anything. It's not going to work on Bahamondes, man. He's six foot three with a 75-inch reach. The only way to fight him would be on the inside. And then when you get on the inside, you realize how much damage you're taking. You don't want no part of it. They're not in the apex. They're in a full-size cage with a live crowd. This kid's going to have every inch of that space to work with. I think he just mauls on him, man. And at minus 330, listen, he's supposed to maul on him. I get it. But as whereas you never feel good about a money line. You never feel good. Not like I feel good about this one, but I get it. I get it. I agree with it. I'm just going to have to find something to parlay it with to get my money back. Yep. I mean, this play, like, it's probably not one that I end up touching, but it's... I, I, I totally agree with pretty much everything you say. Like... Baja Mondays, when I've watched him, I'm like, this kid's got some serious potential. I could see him being a real problem once he refines the game a little bit. Like Ogden, I mean, I was very surprised when he when he beat Zell Huber. Zell Huber just looked lost in that fight. And then, yeah, the the Jordan Leva fight, I mean, that was not a very good look. And then that I guess that's why Zell Huber was such a huge favorite. Uh over him in the following in the following matchup. Not a big Trey Ogden fan. I don't really love what I see from much of his game and um, I think the improvements are showing themselves and will continue to show, show themselves with Ignacio Bahamondes who is absolutely enormous for this weight class six foot three 75 inch reach uses every little bit of his reach um, lots of volume there's lots lot to like to like about the kid and as you said in the McDessie fight you know he's, he's young he's taking on a guy who's had so many fights um loses but shows he's got a ton of heart as well so uh I think Bahamondes is a rightful favorite he's my pick at minus 335 um I don't know how I'm really gonna attack it from a betting perspective but but yeah I, it all makes sense to me all right we got Shailen Nurdenbieke taking on Steve Steve Garcia Nurdenbieke minus 180 favorite Steve can be had for plus 155 who you got here buddy Oh, this is just this Cody, you're a fool pick of the week, but I will take Steve Garcia and it may be the PRP pick all the way at the bottom. Zero confidence in this fight whatsoever. Steve Garcia also tends to run face first into punches and get dropped every time he gets hit. This is not a, the guy almost lost to Charlie Hontiveros, man. You, why would you ever put money? You go to work, you, you get up. You put on nice clothes, you shower, you brush your teeth, you have a little morning java, you drive in, you sit, whatever you do, you're working outside, you're working inside, you'll work for your money. Mm-hmm. Why would you put your money on Steve Garcia? Well, you had to work for it, man. Come on. So in that retrospect, yeah, you don't want overexposure on Garcia whatsoever. Here's the thing, though, is that like he loses because he runs face first into punches. He gets knocked out. His last fight, uh, the fight two fights back against Mahashat. Like, what kind of awful game plan was that? He's just running straight into these shots. He gets dropped the first time, gets back up, and just decides, YOLO, going to do it a second time. Is uh, 
it's not a great look for him. He also has a knack with giving up his back. And then once he gives up his back to throw the body triangle, he's got nowhere to go. Just like the Luis Pena fight, he just watches the time tick by. So not the sexiest fighter by no stretch. But here's the thing. Shailen Nobiaki is not a power puncher. He's a wrestler. He does, In fact, he doesn't really like to strike. In his fights in the UFC, his Josh Kulabau fight, which he lost, two takedowns, but he lands 17 significant strikes, over 15. His next fight was Sean Soriano. Sean Soriano was styling on him early. But Sean Soriano has a tendency to get taken down and completely gas out and blow it. So that's what happens. But still, he got outstruck 35 to 17. Okay, Still only lands 17, second fight in a row, 15 minute. And he also got taken down twice by Sean Soriano. So his offensive wrestling is good. His defensive wrestling is not very good. His fight with TJ Brown, I think that's a good win for him. Scores a knockdown. 47 significant strikes, certainly better than the 17 he had been putting up. A couple takedowns. I think that would be him at his best. And then his last fight with Derek Minner, like, you know, whatever. I, I don't Rigged. think you can take anything out of that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think there's anything you could take out of that. So let's just pretend it never happened and go back to where he was at. He likes to wrestle. He's got a little bit of pop in his hands. Doesn't throw it quite enough. He wants to get those takedowns. Garcia, meanwhile, I mean, he's at a Jackson Wink. He's never really had a wrestling problem. Like, by the numbers, and the numbers don't mean shit, by the numbers, he's got a 100% takedown defense. Like, he's never been taken down. He fought uh, Luis Pena. Never took him down. Took his back whenever he wanted. But never actually took him down. Desmond Torres, Charlie Antiveros, Mahashot. And his last fight with Chase Hooper. So Chase Hooper is a better grappler. Chase Hooper figures to give him some spots. But no, nah, he was just way physically stronger than him. Smacked him up. Dropped him at will. Literally put an absolute beating on Hooper. And if Hooper had ever had anything, is that he was tough. He went, he went hard against Felipe Corrales. He went 15 minutes with Steve Peterson. He stole that win against Pete Barrett in the Brinks of Defeat. He went 15 full minutes with Alex Kamor. He went. He uh, beat up Daniel Tamor, David Tamor's older brother, a Muay Thai champion from Sweden. He had never been absolutely washed out. Garcia beat the crap out of him, man. Three knockdowns, knocks him out in a minute and a half. Physically, he's strong. Takedown defense is not terrible. He's got pop in his hands. It's that he doesn't like the return fire. And if Nurmbiaki doesn't have that return fire and he's only relying on takedowns, could be dicey. Last thing that's caused me to go with Steve Garcia, we're in Florida. So if you're scoring takedowns, but you're ending up with 17 significant strikes landed, is that enough? Are the fans content or are they booing? And if Garcia is able to get up, finally it's like, oh yeah, you're up. You land a couple shots, it, it swings things. I see too often my fighter wins four minutes on the ground. Okay, This happens every single show. Fighter A wins four minutes of the round. Minute left. Quick scramble, back up to the feet. Fighter B comes forward, lands nice little right hand, two body kicks. But the crowd's into it. Oh, he got up. Oh, he's coming forward. Oh, the round ended. Ooh, can't wait for round two. And the judges, they do not remember the four minutes of top control. They do not remember the takedown. They don't remember those nice little set of elbows. They don't remember any of that. They remember the raucous crowd, the last minute, the coming forward, the who wanted it more. It's all bullshit. It's the reason why there's bad scorecards. If you're going to take a guy down and not ground and pound, not try to actively pass, not dominate, uh, you're going to be subjective to bad decisions. And I feel like in Nurmbiaki's case, he could get the bad end of a decision eventually if there's not enough activity. If he fights him the way he fought TJ Brown, not bad, but still less than 50 significant strikes landed and relied heavily on the wrestling. If he can't get his wrestling going or he's not effective with it, Garcia could win this. And that plus 155, whatever it is, sure, sure, give me Steve Garcia. But... You better watch yourself because uh, anticipate. You know when they say never bet what you can't afford to lose. Steve Garcia is that guy. 
Don't, don't bet him unless you, at least part of you knows, you may never see that money ever again. Oh, buddy, you didn't have to sell me all that far. Like, I, I, I took Miles Shate. We had a shoey bet on the line for that. Killed. Um, that just had more to do with the fact that I believe in the legend of Mahashate. But uh, in this spot here, plus 155, Steve, we're not in Singapore anymore. Um, I think a lot of things that you said really can add up. I think he's made some improvements, shows that he's got some serious power in his hands. He can cause some serious problems here as long as he's not spending too much time on his back. So at plus 155, Steve will be the pick. For me as well. And finally, we got Jacqueline Amorim taking on Sam Sampage Hughes. Minus 235 for Amorim. Plus 200 for Hughes. I'm really kind of torn on this one because we went and watched a little bit of tape on Amorim. Obviously, because I, I don't watch too many LFA fights. Not too too familiar with her work. I see some like one-hitter quitter knockouts, which typically... Those do not translate when you come up to the uh, to the UFC. But the real bread and butter of her game, decent entries to her takedowns. I think there's a little bit of a work in progress there. But like her positional grappling and her submission skills are very, very, very solid. Maybe she's just taking on like lower level opponents, and I'm not too sure about it. But you know me, I'm always looking for the opportunity, and it's just like I'm kind of. I'm a little bit scared of this one. I think that Amorim is a rifle favorite at minus 235, to be perfectly honest. Um, the question becomes with her and why I wouldn't actually bet the minus 235 is I just don't. She finishes all these people so quickly. So it's, I just don't know. But it's like women's straw weight. It's like they tend to all have 15-minute cardio. And if she's getting takedowns, if she's getting top control, if Sam Sam Hughes is able to survive those positions, if she's continuously able to get those positions, I don't really see too much of a problem. The, where the problem be, does happen for her here is I see a, when she has landed strikes, it's like one hit or quitter. I don't see like a, a completely rounded out game. I don't see a volume game that can win rounds for you. So it's like Hughes is super, super tough. If this just turns in, if Amarim's not able to get the wrestling going, isn't able to get on top, uh, her transitions between you know side control, mount, all of that is like is is elite. It's very very good. Um, but if she's not able to get that fight to the mat, like this fight gets super super greasy. I'll pick Amarim, um, but at, you know minus two thirty five. I'll wait to find out how good she is. Um, I'm not confident enough to like parlay her up or, or do anything like that. What's your take here? Yeah, she could come out and look like a minus 1,000 favorite, and you'd wish you'd done all those things. But the realistic nature on the pre-flop is UFC debut, never been outside of the first round, not very good striking. So if you don't get those takedowns, you're going to be in trouble. And it's not like the takedowns are all that good to begin with. She is a no-gi world champion. She is a credible BJJ black belt. You'll see on topology, it's like, whoa, she lost uh, IBJJF no-gi championship match to Ra 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 Raquel Canudo. Ugh. Yeah, Raquel Canuto weighed 155 pounds for that match, right? Amarim is a badass. Amarim is a little girl who just generates a lot of power. And uh, similar to Mackenzie Dern, it's like she's able to find just a lot of crafty positions that'll set up the submission. So, yeah, she's finished everybody in the first round, but it's no it's no knock on her. She's actually fought in some decent girls. Going into, say, uh, two fights ago, Loveth Young. Loveth Young 
is strong. She is very, very powerful, very strong girl. Taking her down would be a task in its own, but it's not necessarily out-muscle her and score the clean takedown. It's create the scramble. Create the scramble, fish the leg. Fish the leg, fish for a knee bar. If she defends the knee bar, it creates a scramble. Use that scramble to end up on top. If she doesn't defend the knee bar, then take it home. That's what she does. Minute and a half in, submits her. I thought that was a credible victory. Then she gets booked with Ashley Nichols. Very familiar with Ashley Nichols, Lion Fight veteran, uh, Canadian Muay Thai uh, champion, very, very good Muay Thai fighter, trained at Niagara Top Team. They know 100% that they'll box Amram up. They know 100% they've got a much better striker than Amram. So the whole camp is designed on bringing wrestlers, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. It, it didn't matter. You're so hesitant to throw any strikes because you know what she's going to do, that it throws you off your own game. It allows her to pressure. It allows her to get going. It allows her to create and initiate that scramble. And then all of a sudden you're playing her game and you get caught. Takes out Nichols. I think that that's what's going to happen here with Sam Hughes. It's no disrespect to Sam Hughes, who's kind of reinvented herself a little bit, who's uh, very serviceable, gatekeeper-esque, but you know, capable of giving some rounds to some decent level of competition. It's the sub-50% takedown defense. It's the taken down by Tisha Torres. Taken down by a 105-pound Muay Thai fighter, Loma Luke Bume, four times. Luana Panero, two times. Her last time with Piero Rodriguez, five times. Those girls might take you down and not do anything with it. Against Amram, if you get taken down, that's it. You're not getting back up. There's no surviving and getting back up. There's She's just going to generally improve position. Oh, first you're in guard. Oh, now you're in half guard. Oh, now she's in side control. Oh. Now she has your back. Oh, body triangle. It just progressively gets worse and worse. So if you are betting Sam Hughes, 100%, let the first round go by. Take that live bet in the second, knowing Amram's never been to the second, adrenaline dump, UFC debut. Hughes tends to get a little bit better the longer fights go. She'd be a good live play, assuming this thing went later on. But I don't think, I don't know what prize picks offers up for takedowns on this one specifically, but it's not like Amram needs three takedowns she may just need one she may just need one in the first one in the second and that's it and so i i, I am going to take her i think that uh stylistically this fight probably hits the ground if it does hit the ground it's amram's all day will she run into her match eventually yes will she need to develop other areas of her game eventually yes but the ufc knows what they got here uh knows that she's very marketable ufc debut first fight on a pay-per-view card not on the pay-per-view portion of the card, but you know what I'm saying. It's a big card in Florida with a live crowd. It's the first fight kicking off the show. Um, yeah, I think they gave her Sam Hughes so that it was a good coming into the UFC kind of welcoming party. So I, I will take Jacqueline Amarin to get the job done. Uh, yeah, there is no takedown uh, prop for Amarim on prize picks. It's 12 and a half minutes they've set the total at, and they've got fantasy score 91.5. Let me just run a couple by you, though. I'd take the under. I'd take the under on the time because it's 12 and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. Amram's never been outside of five minutes. So she wins. It's probably coming in the first round and a half. And if she doesn't get the win in the first round and a half, then yeah, who knows? What does she got? Is she, does she got a great chin? She's super durable. Does she got some great heart? Eh, I don't know any of those things. Like I would take the under, I think on the total, the, the time total. What about loop here? Let me just run through a couple that I like. I that have earmarked. Loopy Godinez has her takedown set at three. She could totally get over, but like, yeah, I'm gonna take the under on that. I'm gonna take the under. It's like you, I could see it, it stalling out at three, and it ends up being a push. But like, four takedowns is gonna be a pretty dominant wrestling performance. And Calvillo, she's got her faults. Don't get me wrong, but uh, 
Let me just go she's through never been, stats. She's never been taken down more than twice in a fight, and that was Carlos Esparza yeah. that got her down twice. One, okay, so so the, that in itself, outside of Suarez, impressive. outside of Suarez, the best wrestler yeah. in the women in that in the division's history. Yeah, and Loopy, meanwhile, is coming off a fight where she managed to take Angela Hill down one time. She didn't even uh, try. See that 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 factors into it for me. It's like maybe. Maybe she tries to get it up against the cage, doesn't get a takedown, and then it turns into a 15-minute striking affair. So, um, yeah, I love I love the the under three. Could it could stall out? I mean, obviously, it could absolutely lose. And Loopy comes out, puts her singlet on, and shows us that you know that she's committed to the wrestling again. But like that hill fight makes it pretty easy to hit the under. I don't mind Kelvin Gastelum under less than two, 0.5 takedowns, but like, yeah, we talked about it. It's like he could catch a kick, a weird scramble, somehow just ragdolls him to the ground. The fight doesn't spend too much time down there, but all it takes is one for you to lose there. And then the Burns under uh, 2.5 takedowns has my interest as well um, on prize picks this week. Promo code DOP. If you want to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit, Cody, hit him with the PRP. Hit him with the PRP. We're going to go Alex Pereira, dog number one. Gilbert Burns. Rob Font, dog number two. Santiago Ponzinibbio, dog number three. Raul Rosas. Chris Curtis, dog number four. Lorna Panero. Joe Pfeiffer. Carl Williams. Lupita Godinez. Ignacio Bahamandez. Steve Garcia. And we have four or five. We dog number four. Dog number four, Steve Garcia, and then Jacqueline Amarim. So, again, 13-fight card, four dogs. Those dogs are not – outside of Chris Curtis is a 50-50. The other one's got some pretty good plus money associated with them. Would it be hard to put parlays together this week? Yeah, listen, we've been getting burned up on parlays the last couple of weeks, so always going to have some buyer beware there. But, uh, yeah, I think if you want to put uh, – uh, we'll, we'll craft something up nicely once it's all said and done. Uh, and the main thing is, is that I don't get dragged into doing three shoeies because Carl Williams decides to shit in the shoe because it's not an apple pie, right? It would be a shoe. So don't shit in the shoe, Carl Williams. Outside of that, let's bring this bad boy home. Four underdogs. I'm feeling decent about those underdogs. And uh, hopefully we can just tie up the winners together. So yeah, this is a good card. I Do I love it? Like, oh, it's a pay-per-view. You got to spend a bunch of money like this and that. Well, do you want more championship fights? Do you want more of this and that? Nah, this is a good fight, man. This is... Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira. How could you not like that fight? Striker's delight. Someone probably getting knocked out. At the very least, you know, two guys that are going to throw down. Masvidal versus Burns. Can't see how that's not entertaining. Yanez versus Font. That would be my bet for fight of the night as far as I'm concerned. Kevin Holland versus Ponzinibbio. I don't remember either guy being in a boring fight. Maybe Holland getting choked out like really quick by Chimaev or something. Outside of that, you know, entertaining. Calvin uh, Gaslam, Chris Curtis. Could be fight of the night. Pfeiffer versus Jeremy Shark. Could be fight of the night. Ignacio Bahamandez again has that kid ever been in a bad fight so yeah, this is a very entertaining mm-hmm. card and the only thing that would make it better would be winning so let's do that that's the game plan this weekend Paul yeah I absolutely love this card from like top to bottom I think there's a lot of good opportunities to to bet especially for like a a dog an underdog uh degenerate like myself this I look and I can make cases for a lot of the people up and down this card so looking forward to Saturday night um, a, a great fight card from the great state of Florida. Well, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.